Hey, we had some difficult things to pray about this morning, but we can also rejoice this morning. Uh, Bo Dugan and Sarah Longta got married yesterday, so that's an exciting thing. As we continue our great quest to be called the marriage mill on the hill. Um, <laughs> King's Chapel, subtitle, the marriage mill on the hill. Praise God and meet your spouse. There we go. That, um, let's get to God's word. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. So we look at the Lord's prayer again. Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said this, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This morning we focus on the phrase, give us this day our daily bread. This is probably the prayer that we pray the most from the Lord's Prayer. It's the prayer that is seemingly the most understandable on the surface, most easy to understand. Lord, we need stuff. Please give it to us. But there is more here than meets the eye. Let me ask you this. If you are one of the original hearers of this prayer, remember you're a Jewish man in the first century, they're hearing Jesus teach them this prayer. You're well uh, versed in the history of Israel, the history of the Old Testament, and you hear this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. What from the history of Israel will you immediately think of? Daily bread, the giving of manna. It would have immediately thought of Exodus 16 when God, when the people of Israel are wandering in the wilderness they have, God has provided for them, escaped from slavery, they've crossed the Red Sea, and yet now they're wandering in the Sinai Desert, and there's not a whole lot of food for possibly five to 10 million people to eat on. And so how do you, how do you feed five to 10 million people in a wilderness? And the Lord caused a flaky substance day in and day out, every day, to collect on the ground, and they didn't know what it was. And so it's, in fact, what they called it. Did you know that that's literally what manna means? What is it? It's what it literally means in the Hebrew. What is this stuff? This is manna. Exactly. What is it? We don't know. Now, there were some clear and critical instructions for the collecting and the eating of manna. You could not gather more than you needed. It would not keep for more than a day without spoiling. And, in fact, it would melt once the sun rose. And this sounds far-fetched, but think about it. If, if you heard about this, if you're somebody who lives around this time and you're hearing about this group of people, the Israelites who have, God has provided from escape from slavery in Egypt, and there's these five to 10 million people just wandering around in the desert, and you're going, how, how are these people eating for all of these years? And you hear about there's this crazy provision of this stuff that lands on the ground each and every day that they call, what is it? And, and so you hear this, we hear this, and we go, this, this is a bizarre miracle of God providing manna. But understand this, it was a bizarre miracle then too. Not everybody had bread that landed on the ground every morning. 
This is a new, new and unique experience. This is a strange thing. And so to draw this out, this, this daily bread experience, let me, let me give you a, a little kind of vignette, a little story that uh, Rankin Wilburn made up that I'm going to read to you. And he sets it up this way. Imagine like as their Israelites are wandering through the wilderness and they have their daily provision of manna. At various times, there'd be other wanderers, Bedouins, out in the desert as well. And at various times, they would wander into the Israelite camp, this large group of people. They uh, inevitably would have bumped into at various times in the desert and they would have seen that they had provisions. So imagine a stranger and a traveler. He comes into the camp and he runs into, on the outskirts of the camp, two Israelite boys. And their names, we'll call them Moshe and Eli. And here's here's how their interaction goes. The stranger says, boys, do you have anybody, any food that you can spare for me? And the boys say, yes, of course. We have all the food that you could absolutely need. We can totally spare some for you. But I'm afraid we can't provide any until tomorrow morning. Stranger, why? Boys, well, the sun has come up. Well, what difference does that make? Well, our food is melted. Huh? Huh? What, is mel- what does it mean to it has melted? Eli says, well, our food, our food you see every morning, it's a flaky substance, the finest frost, and it collects on the ground, and we gather it, and we eat it. But once the sun comes up, it melts, and it goes away. And the stranger asks, well, what is it? And Moshe says, that's right. And the stranger goes, huh? Moshe says, yes, what is it is what it is. Moshe said, that's what I said. It is like bread that falls out of the sky, but we really don't know what it is. And the stranger is now confused, and he then asks, well, is there enough food to feed all of these people? Is there really enough? And Eli answers, yes, actually, there's as much as we can possibly eat. In fact, Moshe and I like to play a game where, you, you see, we go out and we gather, see who can gather the most in the first thing in the morning. But no matter how much we gather, by the time we get home, there's only just enough. No matter how much we gather, no matter how little we gather, there's just enough and there's no more. The stranger said, well, I have a long journey ahead of me, and I'll need several days' provisions. You think you can provide me several days' provisions? And Eli says, no, I'm sorry, it doesn't work like that. Huh? Why can't you just store it, the stranger asks. Eli, no, we can't store it. We've tried to store it and keep it, but it spoils overnight, and frankly, it smells quite awful the next day. So the stranger says, well, how do you keep eating it then? And Moshe says, well, we get up each day, and we get enough. It is our routine. But it keeps us praying every morning. Yahweh, will you give us today our daily what is it? Will you give us today our daily what is it? Well, the stranger shakes his head and he thanks the boys and then says, one last question. Why only enough for one day? The boys both answer, well, I guess so we won't take it for granted. Yahweh always gives us just enough of what we need lest we forget We need him. End of vignettes. Do you see the lesson? End of Sunday school story for this morning. You see the lesson? In the giving of the manna day in and day out, God was training and testing his people. But God was saying, and what it was, it was saying something that was true then and it is true now, that this truth, that we are utterly dependent upon God for the needs of our daily bread. And that he likes it that way. Because we turn to him over and over again. See, yes, if we were simply to go word by word through this simple prayer, give us this day our daily bread, I believe that we could summarize it, that at the heart of saying, give us this day our daily bread, this is a prayer of dependence upon the Lord. 
It's a dependent prayer. Bread. It's the most, what it means here to say, give us this day our daily bread is not to say that we, everything we could possibly want in this life, but it's to say our most basic needs for our human life, food, shelter, some security, and clothing. But what does it say? Give us. It means that this is a gift. This is not something earned or that we're entitled to or that you work for. It is a gift of God, something you're utterly dependent upon his graciousness and his mercy to give you. And then it actually says it's daily. It comes to you daily. In fact, actually, it says it, it repeats itself. In about a seven-word prayer, the same word comes up twice. Give us today our daily bread. Today and daily. This is, it means that this is going to be a prayer of dependence daily. And regularly, anything repeated twice in such an abbreviated prayer means that it's very important that we are to be daily dependent upon God's gift to us of life, of food, of shelter, of all that we need. Now, this sounds simple enough, but Jesus is actually asking us to pray for, for many of us the last thing that we might actually think that we need. Because of where we are in the context of our history and where we are nationally in our country, most of us, in fact, I would say probably none of us in this room is worried about getting literally your daily bread. In fact, most of us are worried about how we can cut back on our daily breads. In fact, most of us, some of you are praying that God would take bread away from you because that's the only way in which you're going to be able to change some of the other things that you're praying about, which is things like weight loss. But this is the one petition of the Lord's Prayer that all of us can explain. We understand what it means, but many of us, we don't participate in it near as much as we ought to because we don't necessarily feel like we need it. Or I might add, none of us actually wants to come to a place where we have to pray this prayer. You know what I mean by that? That you actually, so many of us, we live our whole life in resistance trying to avoid having to pray to God. I am daily dependent upon you. I work hard so that I don't have to be daily dependent upon you. But if we're going to rightly pray the heart of this prayer, then dependence on God is where we must find ourselves. A heart of dependence, a life of dependence. And so how do we get there? How do, we, how do we get to a place where we pray dependent prayers? To draw you, that's the point of where we're going in the series every week. I'm trying to draw and elicit so that these prayers, you're not having to think about it too much. They just flow out of you. I, I long to pray because my God is a good father. I, I long to pray for God's kingdom because I, I see the brokenness of this world. And so my goal this morning is to also have you pray dependent prayers because you can see things, and dependent prayers begin to just flow out of you. So how do dependent prayers come? Dependent prayers, three things I want to say this morning. Dependent prayers come from recognizing, first and foremost, that God is great. From recognizing God as great. In other words, what I want to say here is that there's something to learn about the placement of this phrase in the Lord's Prayer. It is the linchpin, it is the turn of the prayer. The first three phrases that we have already looked at and studied in this series all reflect up. They're all vertical. They're all about meditating on who God is and how great he is and about his kingdom and about his glory. But this is where we turn and we begin to apply who God is to our life. We need daily bread. We need forgiveness. We need freedom from temptation. 
help in resisting the evil one. And so now this is where we begin to turn and look horizontally at our life around us. But the first, the second half of the prayer is fully and wholly dependent on the first half of the prayer. That unless you've come to understand that your God is a father, that your God is a king, that your God is holy and powerful and omnipotent, you cannot and you will not rightly pray the second half of the prayer. Let's simply walk through those other first three phrases that we've already looked at. You see, we start praying dependent prayers when we realize how much need there is for the kingdom of God to come and how beyond it it is for us to have take any radical part of bringing God's kingdom to bear in this world. You know, one of the things that you may have experienced if you begin to actually pray kingdom come prayers this week, and, and we, I think I experienced this a little bit in our community group, so much so that you almost begin to feel a resistance that like, oh my goodness, if we pray kingdom come prayers, our prayers will get kind of, again, they kind of sound like, you know, Miss America kind of prayers. We are praying for world peace and we want to be involved in bringing uh, peace and shalom to this world and it can become so big and so grand for us and it can either look like we have pie in the sky prayers or we can feel the weight of this so much in which we look around our city and we say, we long to see God's kingdom come in this place and we're supposed to participate in that? This, if we're going to be a part of bringing God's kingdom to bear in this world, then I'm going to need God's help. Because this task is beyond me. If you begin to pray kingdom prayers, you're going to come to a place where you recognize that I, this is beyond my abilities. And the weight of what's the task that has been given to you. So if you've been called to do foster care ministry, you'll come very, very quickly to a place of going, this is beyond my abilities. I can, I even just trying to bring one drop of small bit of redemption into this city and into this system to bring God's kingdom to bear, his peace and love and joy into this place, it's beyond me. And therefore, I need God the King to provide for me. And we start praying, we start praying dependent prayers when we begin to recognize that God is a holy King who is able to powerfully and providentially provide. That you recognize when you pray, hallowed be thy name, What are we saying? That he is holy and that he is glorious and that he is powerful. The the big theological word is he is omnipotent. That he is omniscient, he is all-knowing. We pray, hallowed be thy name, we are recognizing that we serve a mighty God who is king of this world, who sovereignly rules and reigns, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who powerfully casts the stars in the sky, who makes the sun shine, who causes the grass to grow and the petals of the flower to branch out. And that's the God that you serve. And so he's, that leads you to say, man, if God, if you're this great, then I have a few needs to bring at your feet. If you're this powerful and if you know all the problems of the world, you know the needs of my life, I have some things I want to lay before you. And this is the God to whom you pray. Because quite frankly, when you recognize how great and awesome, how omnipotent, how sovereign, how glorious your God is, you begin to say, my goodness, why would I go to anybody else? I can, I can call my congressman, but he ain't going to do a whole lot for me. But I can, I can call up, the, bring my voices to the God of the universe, and he is powerful to provide. And when you come to a place where you recognize the greatness of God, you be, dependent prayers begin to flow out of you. Because you recognize that he is a God who is, he is somebody you can depend upon. We start praying dependent prayers when we recognize that God is our Father and he wants good things for us. 
You see, all children are dependent on their parents for their needs, and they know this inherently. And they ask obnoxiously and boldly, and they ask, if your kids are like my kids, they ask for the same things over and over and over again. And when we pray to God as our Father, and we see that he is a personal, caring, and attentive God who responds to our needs that makes you go, okay, that if he, this is the God who I serve, is one who looks at me as a father to a child, then I will bring my needs to him. See, the Lord's Prayer is also given, not simply here in Matthew 6, but it's also given in Luke chapter 11. And then following, immediately following the Lord's Prayer being given there in Luke chapter 11, Luke follows it up with Jesus' teaching here about using the greater, the lesser to greater method of argumentation about God's care for us. And here's what he says. He uses the illustration of a father. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of giving him a fish, will give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, if me, being a dad who is impatient and ornery, and annoyed some, so many often by my kids' requests when they've asked it for the 10th time. And yet sometimes, even out of my evil of just sheer annoyance that I'm willing to give them, fine, I'll give it to you just to shut you up. Or simply even out of the, the most base level parental love, how much more will your heavenly Father give you what you need? So lesser to the greater, that this is who our God is. This is saying something pretty amazing. It says that there is no parent on earth, and there never has been a parent on earth, who has wanted joy and provision for his or her children more than God wants it for his children. The Bible says how much more. It means if my heart is bound up with the joy, with joy for my children, then how much more is God's heart bound up in your joy and your provision? And there's a glorious difference between me and God as well. Not so much even just our degrees of love, but our degrees, degrees of ability. You see, what joins here is the fact that God is hallowed be thy name, who is king of the earth, and yet he is also my father, which joins God's sovereign providential rule with his goodness and love for me. Which means this, the it means that God's desires, it's not like God is up there desiring to meet my needs, but he's too weak to fulfill my needs. No. He's the God who longs to provide for me, and he's the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And so here we have as a father who is driven by a great passion for the joy and fulfillment and provision of his children more than any other parent this earth has ever seen. And that's a pretty amazing thing. But we also have a God who is all-powerful father, who can provide whatever his children need. Now, what will this do? How will this shape your prayers? Very particularly, if you were to ask, what does it mean? What does it look like to pray, give us this day our daily bread? Well, let me give you just two examples this morning here at the, at this, during this first point that are implications that flow out of looking up to God's greatness, looking vertically to how great God is. First, it leads to clearly prayers of supplication. Ben gave us a, the pattern of prayer a couple weeks ago that all, many of you have, may have learned. It's called the Acts Acrostic. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and the last is supplication. It means, it means that word supplication means you're asking, you're pleading for God's provision. You, you need to ask God. Some of you would be so much better off emotionally if you were somebody who, first and foremost, when the pains and the sorrows of the day happened and, and the anxieties of your of life hit, that you asked God. I remember my dad, when we were whining as kids, 
and grumbling about not being able to do something or have something, that when my dad would sing this song to us, this little kind of jingle of sorts that he learned, I guess, from Sesame Street, he claimed. And here's how it went. When you have a difficult task, all you have to do is ask. A-S-K, just ask. And in some ways, that is really pedantic, but in some ways, God would look at us every once in a while and go, I'm the God of the universe. Just ask. You're over there pulling your hair out. Just ask. Depend upon me. John Newton brings this out in a great hymn. He says this, this great line, the second verse of one of his hymns, he said, Thou art coming to a king, to our God is. Large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such. See that joining of grace, his fatherly love and his power, for his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. He's cool if you come to him over and over and over again. And so we pray, ask, but I also want you to see this. This is really important. That your prayers, that this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, is not simply about your needs. What does it say? Jesus doesn't say, give, so you're not supposed to pray, give me my daily bread. You say what? Give us, which means the call for, the asking for daily bread is a corporate prayer. We asked for daily bread just a few minutes, minutes ago when we prayed for Graham Grant for the Brewers. It was a give us thy daily, the daily bread. And therefore, one of the prayers that's caught up in this is for praying for those around you, praying for those who are impoverished in this world, praying for the needs of your friends and for your family, praying in your community group for God to provide a job for someone in your group, praying for God's provision. So you're not just praying simply for yourself, but you're praying corporately. Pray, give us, Lord. Give us thy daily bread. Here's the other way in which this will lead you to pray. So if you have a, an upward trajectory, you're looking vertically to God as Father and His King and His hallowed, who is glorious and holy, you will also pray our daily prayers of thanksgiving. See, thanksgiving is, it actually flows. Thanks, you notice there's no clear thanksgiving prayer in the Lord's Prayer. At no point does it say, give thanks to God. It, this is where it's housed, is thanksgiving prayers are caught up within this request of giving, asking God to give us our daily bread. Because you will never give thanks for that which you think you have earned. But you only give thanks to God for those things for which you know you are utterly dependent upon him to give. And yet so often the reason why we are, are lack of, of people who don't give thanks and also who don't even ask for his provision is because we are self-righteous, self-dependent person, people, and this can even affect our prayers in a radical way. One of the greatest examples of this is from move, the, the movies. In the 1960s, there's an old Jimmy Stewart movie called Shenandoah. And in this movie, the great Jimmy Stewart plays a guy named Charles Anderson, and he is a Virginia farmer. And Charlie is a widower who in an opening scene gathers his family around the supper table and leads them in saying grace over the food. But it's what he expresses in his prayer that reveals that he is a proud, self-righteous, and self-reliant man. Here's how Charlie prays. Lord, we cleared this land, and we plowed it. We sowed it, and we harvested it. We cooked the harvest we wouldn't be here eating. We wouldn't even be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same, Lord, for the food that we're about to eat. Amen. 
Now, you, of course, don't pray that way, but your lack of prayers, your lack of thanksgiving to God manifests this truth, that that is actually how you view life. That you view life as being, I am self-reliant, I am self-dependent, that I don't look to God for my contentment, and therefore you don't actually pray prayers of thanksgiving because you don't look to God and you don't see the money in your bank, you don't see the provision of a job, you don't see the clothes in your back as being things that are from God. Your eyes are open. Dependence, dependence breeds thanksgiving. When you pray, give us this day our daily, daily bread, it breeds thanksgiving when you've seen how God has provided to you your daily bread. Did you ever think of this? Thanksgiving prayers are rooted in our knowledge of our dependence on God. God, if it were not for you, then I would not have this. Your eyes are open to the ways that God, in fact, when you pray this prayer, you begin to immediately think of the ways in which God has already provided for you. God, give us this day our daily bread. We need bread. But for most of us in America, when we pray that prayer, you know what? The bread is already in the pantry, isn't it? Because he provided so much yesterday and the day before that we have an abundance of daily bread today. Perhaps what you need is already there. So let me ask you this. Are you a person who is thankful? Thankful for the small things? Have you learned the art? And it is an art of being thankful for the small things. How many of you are grateful for waking up yesterday morning and it wasn't 98 degrees and muggy? Praise Jesus for an October that is not near 100. The small things, the small things. Or a cheeseburger from Five Guys with a bag full of greasy fries. God's provision, God's provision. Learning to be thankful for the small things add color to an otherwise gray faith. If you would stop and review what happened yesterday, just stop and review. Here, here is my day, and I guarantee you that you will find things to be thankful for. And what you're thankful for is God's daily bread that he has provided for you. Last year, I began doing this. I changed up the way I do pray, my prayer life last summer when I taught a class here on the praying life. It's a book in which they teach you in a, a system of creating prayer cards. And I had, often I had kind of kept my prayers overly kind of lofty. And yet my, my prayers became very um, specific. I created prayer cards for very specific things. And one of the most beautiful things about this process of keeping track of what I had been praying for is I also began keeping a card that was all the answers to prayer as I looked through those cards. That about every couple of weeks, I would simply look through my prayer cards and see where has God said yes? Where has he answered this? And what I found over and over again is God was saying yes to my prayers far more than I ever thought or imagined. Simply by tracking all of my prayers for daily bread, and then going back and giving thanks for the ways that he had answered them. Gratitude is the backwards-looking prayer of give us this day our daily bread. You gave it to us, and so we give thanks to you. So these are give us this day our daily bread prayers that are flow out of growing dependent upon God and his greatness. Seeing God is great, you automatically say, I can depend on this God. And then you pray like it. Here's a second way in which you begin to pray dependent prayers. Dependent prayers come from seeing God as present. Seeing God as present. And here I'm going to stretch you a little bit and making some connections. The location of this prayer and this phrase in the Lord's Prayer is very telling. As I already pointed out, that this prayer, our daily bread, is at the very center. It's at the turn of the prayer. From the focus on God to the focus on everything else in life. And therefore, it is this prayer... This prayer assumes that God is present, that this God who is king, who is father, who is worthy of praise, this God is present in all things of my life. 
God is present. If you're asking the God of the universe who is in, resides in heaven to give you your daily bread, you're asking him to come down and be present in your life in a very specific way. In other words, what I want to say in, this, in God's presence that we, in order to become dependent on him is you recognize that there is no place on earth that is too far from God. That there is no prayer request that is too mundane and too earthy and too small in which God is not present in giving you and providing for you. Let me, just, let me give you an illustration of this from the Old Testament. We looked at one in Genesis 16. Let's look at another one. Let's look at Jacob. Now, if you remember the story of Jacob, Jacob, whose name means literally deceiver, and um, he lives into it, he has a brother named Esau. And Esau is not the brightest bulb in the chandelier. Esau had a noticeable body hair problem, but Esau was also still his father's preferred child. He was a great hunter-gatherer, great potential as a family leader. And so where I want to come into the story of Jacob and Esau is right after Jacob has deceived once again, he's deceived his father in order to steal his father's blessing from Esau. And it's here we pick up in the story because Jacob has to run away from home. And he's out in the middle of nowhere, fleeing from his family. And it says in Genesis chapter 28 that Jacob says, it says he comes to a, it says in the Hebrew, a certain place. A certain place. Now that phrase, a certain place in the Hebrew, literally means nowhere in particular. In other words, we might say in our vernacular, Jacob was in the middle of nowhere. He was just in the middle of nowhere. And he was also not just simply physically and geographically in the middle of nowhere. He was a man seemingly without a family. He had run from his household. He was a man who was essentially had to run from his household because he's kind of a, a punk. He's a man who feels, probably feels like he should be deserving of God abandoning me, him. And yet here in the, literally the middle of nowhere, something happens. Jacob, set, Jacob settles down for a night with his head on a rock, and God gives him a dream. And on that dream, he sees a ladder that is going from earth down to, or from heaven to earth. And on this ladder, it's more like a stairwell from heaven to earth, and there are angels coming and going on this ladder. And the Lord says to Jacob in the dream, I am the Lord the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And here's what he says to him. I will be with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. In other words, what I want you to see here, here's what Jacob's going to say. He responds to this dream when he wakes up. And he wakes up from his dream, and he says this in Genesis 28:16. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. In other words, what I want you to see here is that key line is, I did not know it. This means that it is entirely possible for God to be present without us knowing it. If there are places in our life where we have assumed that God is not there, it just seems too small, too far out of the way for God to care and God to be there. But do you see what has happened here? Jacob is going to name this place Bethel which means the habitation or the present place where God is present, which means where we begin where Jacob lays his head down is in a place that is in the middle of nowhere, nowhere in particular, the middle of nowhere. God wouldn't be here to what? It, the story ends with God is present in this place. I didn't even know it. And yet God is with me and God's promises no matter where I go. Now here's what I want you to see and here's the connection to the Lord's prayer. Far from being a fact that this little clause is not only the center of the Lord's Prayer, it contains for you the secret of walking with God throughout your day, throughout your life as a Christian, because Jesus focuses our gaze at the one place in our life where we think that God is most removed from our minds, 
That we think, we don't think of God being present with us when we do laundry and we make bread and when we change a diaper and when we drive on our own way to work. That the everyday, matter of fact, mundane things of this world, toast. And I'm not talking about like a, 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 a picture of Mary in the toast. I'm talking about God being present with you as you make toast. Tuesdays. Tuesdays, what a boring day. It's not Monday. It's, it's not hump day. It's not Thursday. It's not Friday. It's Tuesday is the most boring day, and God is present in Tuesdays. God comes down, and God says that you can know God as your father, that God is a sovereign one, means he is imminently present with you, and the places you never thought about him being present with you. God comes into our lives, in our homes, in our bedrooms, in our kitchens. Any place can become known as Bethel, the place where God dwells with me. It means God, Jesus is putting in this phrase in the middle of this prayer, he's reminding us that right here, in all the places where you live and work and play, in the most mundane, the nitty-gritty, God says, I am here. And you say, I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. That means he's present in your marriage and in your dating relationships and your vocation. He's with you when you're sitting at the I-20 and 285 interchange in the middle of nowhere. It seems like a God-forsaken place, doesn't it? And yet God is there at that horrible place. And so praying, give us our, da- our daily bread. We are learning to see God in the typical and the ordinary and the mundane and beginning to ask him to be present with us as we do all of these things. This is why this humble request for bread sits at the center of this prayer. Because this prayer will actually pervade most of the moments of your life. Right? Most of your moments of life are done doing very boring things. Getting dressed, pouring milk, driving your kids to school. You see, Jesus seems to make this clear in Matthew 6 as he illustrates the implications of praying the Lord's Prayer. A few short verses after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches in Matthew 6.25 that we are not to be anxious or worry about anything. And what is his illustration? He says, I provide worms for birds. I am Bethel for the birds of the air. And he says, I, provide, I clothe the flowers of the field, and how much more am I there for you? And this is so important because we need to connect the give us our daily bread as being connected to a word that Christians use a lot, which is the word blessings. Blessings. We are, in this prayer, we are asking for God's provision of blessings. But the central promise and the central and the greatest blessing of the Bible, guess what, is not God's forgiveness. It is not atonement. It is not even life after death. But those things are all the things that make the way to the greatest blessing, which is this. I will be with you. That is the height of all the other blessings of the gospel, of all the promises, all other promises lead to this place, being present with God and God being present with us. This is the theme throughout scriptures. Adam and Eve, what? They walked with God. Enoch walked with God. Abraham and Sarah walked with God, laughed with God, talked with God. Moses saw the face of God. David going to gaze at God. Isaiah saw God in his glory. Joshua 1.9, this is what God says. He comes to Joshua and the people of Israel and he says this, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is what? He is with you. And he is with you wherever you go. Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for what? You are with me. 
And Jesus' call to ministry, he said, who is he? He is Emmanuel, which is God with us. And when Jesus ended his ministry and he cast them out into ministry, what does he say? And I will be with you always. Whether or not we see him, the greatest blessing that we should pray for is for God to be active and present in your life. Now, this leads to a certain kind of prayers. Prayers that cover everything. Prayers that cover everywhere, every aspect of your life. You know, I think the first half of the, of the Lord's Prayer is the kind of prayers that you need to pray in your room by yourself early in the morning. They're the prayers that take to pray about God's kingdom, take some thought and some energy and some effort. Praising God and, and reflecting on him as Father takes meditation upon God's word. You need space and time. But it is this prayer, our daily bread, is the type of prayers that you pray throughout the day. That they simply flow out of you throughout the day as you're in the car going to work and as you're doing laundry. You know, God, and here's what I'm saying, is that God loves for you to pray the most simple, mundane prayers of dependence. You know, I have a prayer card for each of my kids, and they have specific prayers. And one of the things that I'm learning is how God loves and honors when I reflect and understand that he's in the most simple, mundane, earthy, might I even say gross things. My youngest daughter's chapel, and my prayer for our card for chapel, on one particular line, it has one word, poop. It's one of my prayers for her. Because as, a, as some of you who've raised kids, and this is something I did not know going into fatherhood, but little kids get constipated a lot. And I never prayed about it. And it was causing major problems in her life. And so you know what I have? A prayer card I take before the God of the universe. One line. God, would you, would you you're, you're, ugh, I don't get it, God. You say to pray these kind of prayers. And so I pray, and even this specifically, because God is a father who is involved in every detail. I'm involved in that detail in my child's life. I don't want to be, but I am. And so I'm bringing God into it as well, because he can do far more about it than I can. Prayers that are specific, and they're holistic, and they cover every aspect of our lives. Listen, we too often have a divided life. That we think we can go to God with our big prayers, the big things. God's in the big things. He's in the spiritual things. And because we live and we view life in this divided manner that we don't engage with him on the things that are actually causing us the most amount of anxiety throughout our day. But God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Let me illustrate this by, by saying this, another prayer that maybe some of you married people need to pray. And you, frankly, you, some of you are going to be really agitated that I'm going to suggest that a spouse prays this way. One of the things that comes up, one of the areas in which spouses cause the most kind of problems in, with spouses is the lack of frequency of, let's call it, marital intimacy for the younger, younger ears in the room. But have you ever prayed about that? Men, it's better to talk to God about it than to complain to your friends. That God actually cares about this, and he goes, oh, man, God doesn't care about my intimate life. He gave it to you. He invented it. He cares about it. It's his good gift for you. So pray about it. You ought to pray about these things. We pray for our daily bed by taking God the things that appear to us to be trifling, but they bulk up on us throughout the day. It was a great, there was a great um, a comedy uh, series that I watched, uh, or a stand-up comedy by Kevin James. Some of you may remember Kevin James. He's a big, hefty fella from uh, the King of Queens. And he had a, a comedy series, or a, a stand-up comedy show. It was called Sweat the Small Stuff. 
And all it is is about all his irritations at all the various annoying small things through life. Well, guess what? Some of you are so anxious because you sweat the small stuff all the time, and yet you never talk to God about it. We believe the devil's in the details, but you know what? God the Father's in the details as well. And he is present with you. You cannot pray our God as Father and worry about these things and stay worried. Because worry is living as if you don't have a Father who cares about your daily needs. But you do. And you get to go to him. Last thing, dependent prayers come from seeing God as ultimately satisfying. They come from seeing God as ultimately satisfying. Ultimately, while we can ask God to provide many good provisions and gifts and blessings in this life, the deepest soul cry of give us this day our daily bread is to say to Jesus, I need the blessing of experiencing your presence. We just said that this is the greatest blessing that we can seek, that we can experience. That God is present in all these, all these places, but ultimately I want to see, experience him more than I want to experience these other earthly mundane blessings. It's great to get those, and I want to pray about them. God allows me and invites me to pray about them, but ultimately the cry of my heart to pray, our God, our Father, give us this day our daily bread is to say, Jesus, I need you. And this is what Jesus teaches in John chapter 6, doesn't he? Look at verse 32 through 35. It'll be on the screen for you. And Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, that's manna, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And here's how they said, here's what they responded. Give us this bread always. But Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, the Jews were thinking of physical bread, weren't they? But we can take their prayer, that very simple prayer. It matches, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus, you're the bread of life. Give us this bread. That you're the bread that we most need. You're the one we long for. You're the one who can actually satisfy our soul hunger. Now, who would, who would, you, would you pray that prayer? Give us this bread so that I see that my daily, hourly, every moment need is this. Jesus, you are my bread. You are my satisfaction, my life, my sustenance. There's an old hymn that goes like this. I need thee every hour. Oh, precious Lord, I need thee. That that would become the prayer of your life, that God can be Bethel with you as you pray that, that you would experience his presence, yes, in the mundane, and some of the special moments of life. And this is the central request of the Bible, the presence of God. The greatest, greatest need, the greatest blessing is to be able to feed on the presence of God. What I'm saying is that experiencing God's presence is what it means to feed upon God, upon Jesus as the bread of life. You see, that's an odd mixing of images, to say that God, enjoying God's presence, experiencing his presence is what fills me up spiritually. How, do, how does that happen? Well, let, me, let, me see, let me see if I can illustrate it this way. Have you ever had an experience where you, maybe you and your spouse have not connected or just had time together in a long time? Or maybe there's an important relationship like a parent that you've been away at school, at college, and you, you really haven't connected, or you have a good friend in which you've moved to just separate parts of the country, and you, you get together for a weekend, and you spend time, you get, if you're a married couple, you get 24 or 48 hours away from the kids, or just a special time just to focus on each other, and you come away, and how do you, maybe you describe that weekend with a friend, or a weekend back with a parent that you love? You say, I feel refreshed. My cup was filled up. See, we see that dynamic relationally. It's the same way with God, that when you experience God's presence, your spiritual cup 
gets filled up and it overflows. And so to pray our daily bread is to pray this, God, I want to experience your presence in my life. And what I've tried to paint for you here is this clause at the center of the Lord's Prayer, that it's an awareness that we need and we long more than anything else for God's presence in everything. Now, I hope if you've heard this, that you've you hear this, that like God is present with me as I do all these mundane things. There could, that sounds really comforting, but it can also be quite terrifying, couldn't it? Wait, you're saying God sees me as I put my kids to bed, and God sees me as I drive to work, and God sees me as I do various activities around the house. And if you lived in a, a world with constant knowledge that God was looking at all of your actions and all of your words and all of your thoughts, that gets terrifying really, really quickly. God's present with me in these things. Do you really want to take God to work with you? Or have God on a date with you? Or in the Old Testament, you wanted God close, but you didn't want him too close. That's close enough. And God understood that too. When God called Moses up on the mountain, he said to the people of Israel, hey, tell him not even to touch the mountain. Because my holiness and my glory, my presence, if it's too close, it destroys them. Man, that, so, my goodness, that's, so that's not a, that's, that's, a, that's a difficult thing. You see, too often we have a small view of God, and so we think of the idea of God being present with me as God being kind of a good luck necklace that I wear around, and I kind of rub it whenever I need him. Uh, but God is not, he's not present with you like a charm bracelet. He's present with you like a holy God who is magnificent and mighty and who's perfect. And that would be quite a burden to have his eyes upon you, upon all the nuances of your life. It's a terrible thing to have God present with us. And therefore, how can God be present with us and it doesn't terrify us and crush us? How can that be? How are we not saying, that God, saying, not saying to God, please keep your distance, please remove your face from me, please stay away from me, for my life is too messy for you to see, for you to know the nitty gritty of it. How are we not burnt up by the holy eye of God? How are we not burnt up by that? Because, because of the cross. The reason why you can have the presence of Jesus in your life in the most mundane things, and he can see you at your best and at your worst, he can see you in the, in the, the most earthy, mundane moments of your life, is because Jesus was burnt up. Jesus took the, the burden and the barrier of, God, the, of God's presence that would crush you if you knew God was present with you. And yet now, when God sets his eye upon you, it is not to set his eye of wrath upon you. It's set his eye as affection upon you. So that God can be present with you, and yes, he can see you sin, and yet he can then provide for you forgiveness. And provide, he can see you be tempted. We're going certain places, aren't you? in our prayer. He can see that I need forgiveness and he enters in, provides for me forgiveness on a daily basis. He can see the temptations and the awful things that are going through my mind and he can invade. And he doesn't invade my life with his destructive, wrathful power, but with his good power of blessing and provision. On the cross, Jesus was not simply saying, I am with you, but Jesus saying is, I am dying literally so that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit may be present with you. And this is what we came, come to celebrate this morning. It is not God is closer than you think, so you better watch out, but God is closer than you ever dared hope, so you better call out to him and share with him all of your needs, no matter how small and how great. And if, you know what? If God would give you the blessing of his presence through the sacrificial work of Jesus, what more will he give you? What more in your life will he say yes to? 
You know, that's the gospel. It says this in Romans 8, verse 32, and we close here. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things? The God who would give us his very presence by the sacrifice of his son, how will he not also solve poop problems and provide for you a parking space and provide for that that brother or sister who needs a job? He loves giving good things to you. So let's go to him in prayer, confessing our need of him and inviting him to be present with us. If you're serving the Lord's Supper, please come forward. We're going to celebrate together. Graciously, Father, we thank you that this morning we get to come and celebrate the fact that you are present with us. And that in this, in this meal we come to celebrate what it took for you to be present with us. So that when we came in your presence, we were not burned up and crushed. That you knowing all of our sins and all the mundane and nitty gritty, all the awful and the good about us didn't destroy us, but instead because we were covered by the blood of Jesus. You are now present with us and your provision and your goodness and your love and your affection. So we thank you that for this assurance that we get this morning. That because Jesus died, you hear all of our other prayers, no matter big and small. So we thank you for this table, and Lord, we we pray that even now that you would be present with us. That the greatest, for those who walk in this room, and they need your presence because of sin in their life, and they long to experience your presence in their life, to feed upon you, and particularly to feed upon the fact that you have forgiven them. Others in this room are coming in a season of of weakness, of temptation. They feel like they're dogged by the evil one, and they need the presence of God who would come to them and say, I am here for you. I am defending you. I'm going to do work against the evil one. I'm going to whisper the truth in your ear. So God, by your grace, would you come and be present with us in that way? For those in this room this morning who come in suffering and weakness, who come just feeling physically broken or relationally broken, and Lord, they come before you and they have their needs and the requests, thank you, Lord, that our suffering is not a sign that you're mad at us, but that we know that you're there with us, as it says in Isaiah 43, that you walk with us through the fire of our suffering. You walk us with us through the, the waves of our suffering. And why sometimes you don't take the suffering away, you say, I am present with you. And my love and my joy and my peace is there for you. So, Lord, I pray that in this way, you you promise that you're spiritually present in the bread and the cup. And so in these ways, would you come and be present with us? Bless us with this daily bread of your presence today. Even as we chew upon this actual bread, may we be blessed by your presence spiritually filled up by all that we, we have in you. We pray this in Christ Jesus. Amen.